Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. A lot of times we say if there's no suffering or no challenges that happen, when are we ever pushed to learn? We hoped it was just enough to create a good starting point for them, and then that with the help of adults, they would continue their education and become more aware. This living spirit is the one that supports us in each and every day. And so we need to remember that. We need to always acknowledge and give thanks to the water. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... I think maybe some adults who do this interaction with students, even if they were aware of the subject matter of, of the environmental issues, that they as well, like kids, might be inspired to continue taking it to the next level, exposing their kids to you know additional books of similar subject matter, just more learning. But also, like Shnoa mentioned with, you know, planting gardens together, that hopefully they would take it to the level of behavior changes. Siblings Shenoa and Keith Egawa explore various ecological threats in their book The Whale Child, published by North Atlantic Books. Throughout the story, two children, Alex and Shiny, go on a journey of discovery in Turtle Island's Pacific Northwest, often alongside Bufflehead, a small black and white diving duck. Shenoa and Keith joined Ian to discuss the role of storytelling in today's world, the importance of tone when navigating heavy topics, and how stories can be adapted for younger and older audiences. Throughout this episode, you will also hear excerpts from The Whale Child. What is the value of storytelling when teaching about respect for nature? Right. So storytelling, whether it whether it's adult or children's literature, has has always been a way of teaching important life lessons, character traits, uh, the concept of right and wrong. You know, storytelling teaches history, even if the format is fiction. It explores the the human condition and the human experience. So so specifically as to the environment, the style of storytelling through children's literature is a chance to convey truths, realities about environmental challenges and um, an individual's role and a community's role in addressing these truths and so on. And so we can convey truths and facts about the environment within a fictionalized format that kids respond to well and can enjoy. Yeah, I was thinking we, we call them from, from our native perspective, the teachings, because yes. when you look at history, we have maybe the last 150 years or somewhere in there of having schools. 
And um, it used to be that the education was through the stories and especially among our native people from many, all places that I know of or most places in the world, it's the oral tradition. And the stories here in this territory in the Northwest come from um, the winter time. It's the time for storytelling. And those are where you learn about, as my brother was saying, the characters, you know, what are they doing? Are those behaviors things that are helpful? Are they things that are teaching us what to do or what not to do? Are they teaching us about environment as far as uh, respect for the salmon, for example, in this area? You know that you go out and, and you only take what you need. You don't take too much because there's a balance and there's an interdependency and an interrelationship there that uh, is required to hold the balance for the future, not just for the present, but for the future generations. And so there, the storytelling is a main way of, of uh, transferring the cultural wisdom through thousands of years to the, the younger generation. And then all the generations are involved in that process. And I think anyone who's engaged in storytelling frequently is aware of the fact that it's a pathway into the emotional understanding of a concept. And it's those types of concepts that have a greater chance of going into our long-term memory and staying with us. Are we losing storytelling in today's world of just go, go, go and constant content? I mean, maybe that's a too broad of a question. We could almost do an episode just on that. But I mean, what is the role of storytelling in today's, you know, hyper digitalized, super fast paced world? There's one thing that Keith and I always notice when we go in to talk with children and the heart recognizes when a story begins and the heart recognizes when a song begins. And no matter where those children are from, all the different backgrounds represented, you start a story and it engages some part of their heart and their mind and they're just automatically right there with you. Uh, even, even the teachers often say to us, how did you do that? You know, and it's like, it's not us, it's the story, you know, the story, there's something in our, in our makeup as human beings that recognizes and feels that um, ancient part of all cultures on this earth that so many, all, so many stories have been told throughout time and it's a part of being human. And so I think that it is being lost today a little bit. Uh, and we, it's more important than ever because our children are being so attracted into this world of artificial realms and creations mm. and artificial, what do they call it? AI, for instance, it's um, it's taking us further away from the truth of our existence is in particular that we are a part of nature and that we are not just separate beings. We're completely interdependent upon the water, the air, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, the medicines, the foods. And so when you take any one of those things away, we can't exist without that. And so I feel like our stories, especially around these teachings, how we are connected to everything in the natural world and bringing that relationship really into um, uh, part of this, the system of how we educate our children today is critically important because so much of their attention is being distracted off into things that aren't even really real. They're man-made and created to uh, distract and to um, 
draw kids into a whole other thing and where you're not able to pay attention. You know, it's, yeah, it's like right. there's an addictive quality of it, you know? Oh yeah. yeah and Shnoa, as Shnoa mentioned, the, that classroom experience where we're actually reading it to the kids and, and, and answering their questions. Yeah. The, the engagement is just across the board. Amazing. They're absolutely listening intently and that's, made completely evident by the questions they ask we i always feel bad because we never get a chance to answer all the questions that they have and so i think so so storytelling of course is still there in many forms but i think yeah it, i think in in terms of like reading and that face-to-face -face style of storytelling that is something that really is at risk and you can see the way kids respond to that because it's something that goes back in all of us regardless of our culture so far that individual you know adults telling stories to children so yeah it, it is scary to see how much that you know reading and face-to-face -face storytelling is kind of being looked over by kids because of that high speed high volume availability of information yeah, and you certainly responded to that by creating this story that I think allows readers and listeners to breathe and go on this journey with the main characters. And I don't want to give away too much about the central plot of The Whale Child, but how did the story come to be? What are sort of its basic origins? I think as often is the case with stories, um, they're inspired by things that happen in life. And with the whale child, we had a really magical experience with the birth of our nephew and our sister, the night before she went into labor, had a dream and she was swimming in the ocean in this tropical water. She described the color and it was warm and it was um, shallow and she could see this whale swimming in the water and she, she swam over to the whale and she said she swam right up to the eye and she was looking into the eye of the whale and it was looking back at her. And then all of a sudden it turned black all the way through. And in that blackness, a baby's eye appeared and it was looking back out at her and it had this blink like a puppet where the eyelid would kind of stick closed like a little wooden puppet. You know, the blink was right. a little sticky and then it'd pop open. And um, she woke up right after that and she immediately forgot the dream in that moment. But she told her husband, the baby's coming and we need to go to the hospital now, you know. And then over the process of the labor, um, we went through a whole other part there. And then when the baby was born, she was she was holding him. And the first time he looked up at her and blinked, she saw that blink of the dream, the, the baby's eye from the whale. And so we we always called him our whale child. We that's just his name, and then you know just his heritage on his father's side as well, coming from uh, the South Pacific in Samoa, and um, having that connection to the ocean. So um, we wanted to have this story to inspire our our nephew and all children because we believe that all children come into the world with special gifts, and they come in with a purity of heart, and they come in with a curiosity and an open mind. And they're they're ready to learn and they're not judgmental and they're not critical. Those are all things that kind of happen later. And so we just thought we want our children to remember the sacred way, the sacred manner that they enter this earthly realm. And we forget because there's so much that happens to us in the process of life. But if we can always come back to that sacred origin and that pureness of spirit and the genuineness of the heart, that that would be something really important for are not only our nephew, but all of our children in the world 
to to know this, you know, and to remember that. Yeah, and, and I always love it when Shnoa tells that story about our sister and the birth of our nephew as part of the answer we give to kids because they they always ask that. Students always ask, you know, why did you write this story? How did you think of this story? And so kind of the the other half of that piece is we, you know, we've been, you know, concerned for a very long time now about about the state of the world. Um, and we have to face, you know, these environmental crises. And a key element to positive change happening is children being made aware of it, of being introduced to the, the issue and then inspired to learn more. And um, so, I, so I think we were just compelled to fill what seems to be a fairly empty space in regard to, to teaching kids about this subject, about the current state of the environment yeah. and, um, and the action that's needed by people. So we, with that, you know, that being compelled to, to tell some kind of story with, you know, that being at the foundation of it, we then learned about this dream that our other sister had. And so it, those, that kind of inspired the direction and the other, some of the, um, like the character Alex is also based on one of the relative children in our family. So it all just kind of came together where there's this really personal deep part of it. And then, you know, then that more, you know, concrete functional, you know, something has to be done to address positive change and the, and that each child is gifted that each child has a special gift so you can see that in the story that the the purpose of each child is they're made to go and learn about this and then teach others and i think in our in our coastal way we always say you know don't teach everyone the same thing because then we won't need each other everyone's gift kind of fulfills the whole picture and so we all need to be represented and bring in that special thing that we have. And so Shiny, the main character, has that special gift of just understanding and a, and a great deal of um, empathy and compassion, but strength. He sees what's he sees the good, he sees the bad, but it doesn't rock him to the point where he's, he's unable to function. He's he just takes it in a practical way and knows that this is how the world is and we think of that with our children, they're, they're actually more resilient than we give them credit for. <laughs> so, but um, they, they, they can handle the news. And then as long as you keep that hope there for them, they can, they can reach it. You know, there's creativity, there's limitless potential, and they, they're able to move into those places easier than adults, I think. <laughs> yes. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. From the earliest days of his life, the whale child's mother taught him the language of the sea through timeless songs that carry the stories and wisdom of life on earth. She told him how water is the source of life. Page 2. Well, that's a perfect segue to talking about tone. I'm always so fascinated by the tone of a story because that can make or break 
what you're trying to communicate and the story that you're trying to tell. And given the number of environmental crises that we are facing, and I'm not trying to get overly negative, but that is the truth. And you've touched on these in a book that's geared towards young people between the ages of 7 and 12. How did you find that balance? And I ask this question a lot when I talk to authors and creators. It's just finding that balance between being honest and also being hopeful. Right. That's true. It's a very heavy topic that can be just overwhelming to young readers, but to to anyone. What we sought to do, the way I look at it, is, um, is the whale child gently opens the door to make kids aware of, of the very real situation we're facing. But we, like what you just alluded to, we just selected a handful of issues and kept it somewhat general because of that awareness of not wanting to be overwhelming to young readers who may be just learning about this. And, and to refer back again to the power of storytelling. So what also makes it easier to process for kids is, is, you know, the journey of the characters is an adventure. You know, it's fun. Their, um, their personalities shine through, their humor shines through. So yeah, the details of the environmental crisis we're facing are numerous, far beyond what kids are introduced to in the whale child and a lot scarier than what we explore in the whale child. Um, so we were really aware of that, that need for it to be like an introduction of topics in a way that they could process and once again, with that, you know, inspire them to then learn more as their education progresses and, you know, speak with teachers, speak with adults, share what they learn with others and begin to learn solutions as well along the way. Right. It strikes me just how accepting, especially the lead character Shiny is about these crises and how he's able to talk about them and share his knowledge about them with the other main character, Alex in a very matter-of-fact, honest way, but also not a particularly heavy way. And I think that's one of the great strengths of this story is that it doesn't come off as heavy-handed. And there are some people that are always sort of looking for reasons to poke holes in any sort of environmental messaging. Anything that they think comes off as preachy or heavy-handed, and I don't think the whale child is any of those things. Did you consciously sort of say, okay, this is what we want to talk about, you know, climate change, for example, this is the language that we want to use, this is the sort of situation, this is the attitude of the characters around it. How did you handle the decision not to go as heavy-handed as I suppose you could go, given the severity of these issues? I think when when you have more wisdom around a subject, like talking about the big picture, then there's more patience and there's more understanding within that topic. And so that character, Shiny, is a person who you understand from the beginning of the story is a spirit that comes into the world with a deeper understanding of the whole picture and learning from his mother how things have been since the beginning of time. So going all the way back to the beginning and watching the story of life on earth and really understanding all these phases and stages and that that we have a responsibility as living beings on this planet that what we do, what we say, it has an impact. And so um, I think with Shiny, he's he's kind of matter of fact because he sees the big picture and he understands the the, the infinite cycles of life that, that occur on this earth, that there's been a lot that has happened here, but that he, he says, you know, we can't ignore the bad things and just only look at the good things or bury our head in the sand because we can't handle it. 
there's always an opportunity in any situation to learn something, especially in a challenging thing, there's there's an opportunity to learn something really good. A lot of times we say, if there's no suffering or no challenges that happen, when are we ever pushed to learn? And when we talk with the kids, it's like an opportunity, like maybe they've never worked with a garden before, but actually to connect with life and how a seed grows and working in harmony with their family or a community or other students, to actually nurture life through a garden. Maybe they haven't done that before, but this experience that we're in now is saying, okay, we need to understand where our food comes from. We need to understand that the, the salmon need clean water and we, we need to understand our role in whether it's clean or whether it's being contaminated. And when you're receiving information about your part in this picture, it's empowering. And then you can make decisions based on wise choices. And so, and that humor that he brings in is really the part that's like, you know, we don't stop laughing, you know, right. because there's bad things in the world. And we don't just sit there and laugh and ignore the bad things so that we, because we can't handle it. You know, it's like, have courage, take courage. This is an exciting moment. And there's all these new possibilities, new jobs. We just need to use our imagination and our creative capacity to expand into something completely different that is is going to be good. It, it can be good. There's It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be exciting and, and challenging in beautiful ways. Right. And yeah, it, we, we were really aware um, as we, you know, kind of outlined the story and put it through drafts. We were really aware of the need not to to overwhelm, to have too many, you know, explore too many specific environmental topics. But at the same time, we knew we had to have things that we did have to convey serious issues because the subject matter just, it can't be ignored anymore. And it's important for kids to at least be introduced to it at, at an early age. Um, so like I was saying, we just, we hoped it was just enough to create a good starting point for them. And then that with the help of adults, they would continue their education and become more aware. But yeah, you're, you're right. There are people who, when it's an environmental message, I mean, it, it's still such a controversial, you know, issue about what's true and what exists and what, you know, climate change. <laughs> yeah, especially now. And, so it, and yeah, I'm, I'm at a point now where I just don't even know how to deal with, you know, that, that place in time, you know, people yeah. who still deny things are a problem. Um, so yeah, I, I just think we need to go forward, um, give kids information in a, you know, in a safe way that's age appropriate and help them progress um, because it, it's a future that they're going to have to, to live in and deal with. So to, to ignore it is just not a possibility anymore. And I really like that idea of having this mindset of seeing the opportunity through the struggle and the fact that in no way does this story come across as a message for young people to bury their heads in the sand or to give up? It's not either of those two extremes. It's, okay, let's look at this with clear-eyed reality. What can we do about it? And what is the opportunity for maybe recreating something better? And we're actually doing a special issue of our magazine, and one of the articles in it will be envisioning a future where we made responsible environmental and social decisions we don't maybe spend enough time envisioning that we figured right. it out future as maybe we should. So we thought that that would be our contribution to this part of the discussion. And, you know, hopefully we see more of that. Right. It's really cool. I like that. 
because the way that you think, I think the other thing is having a positive out outlook and a positive attitude and actually imagining envisioning the future. It, it draws in that future. And I think, you know, and that's just the way that life goes. If we're really negative and we're really down and we're really hateful or spiteful, we, we just attract more of that. But when you can envision the future in this beautiful way, it opens up the possibility and it, you can help bring that in. So that's that's a really great contribution. Right. Yeah. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just letting you know that a subscription to Green Teacher also includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles. The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive, too, and there are 125 of those and counting. To save you time, everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. Shiny and Alex quickly became friends, and as they traveled the countryside through grassy fields and shady forests, it was as though they had always known one another. Page 29. The water spirit factors very prominently in the story, as well as the teachings of Coast Salish tribes. Can you tell us a bit about the water spirit? So the water spirit is, it's the living spirit of water that has supported all life from the beginning of time and goes back to being one of the main elements that were here at the very beginning from the the origin of the, the earth in the way that I understand it, that we understand it through our elders and our ancestors and the creation stories that we have in our tribes. And so the water spirit is, is one that, um, as all parts of nature, carries a spirit, a living spirit, a wisdom. It carries the memory. It, it knows everything that's occurred because it witnesses it and it experiences it. It's also the most malleable of the, um, the elements in that it can respond to our thoughts and our prayers and our actions and so it's it's we know it as a medicine. It's it, this spirit is here giving us life. When I get up in the morning, I take a glass of water and I offer my positivity to that water and I give my gratitude to the water and I ask it to to help me to have a, a good day and to put everything in alignment and open up the possibilities for me and 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 have that ongoing relationship and notice how the water travels around the earth from the top of the mountains, down through the rivers, down through the forests, streams, creeks, into the underground, it goes underground, and then it goes down to the ocean, comes back up. So it's it's capable of traveling that path of least resistance. It's always looking for the way to flow, which is when mm. we get stuck, things are blocked and we're not flowing, but it teaches, water teaches us this is how you flow. You go to the path of least resistance and you want to keep purifying and cleansing yourself, not stagnating yourself and blocking yourself. That's where sickness and all kinds of other problems come in. If you look at a dam, for instance, and the, the salmon can't return and the, the water can't flow, then you start to have other effects that are impacting the forests and the animals and the people and the water cycle. And so this living spirit is the one that supports us in each and every day. 
And so we need to remember that. We need to always acknowledge and give thanks to the water. Yeah, and to add to that, um, that's that's such an important piece with the what Schnoa described about, you know, the, the spirit of water being just that the life-giving force of water, you know, throughout, you know, everywhere on the planet. And another and another way we looked at it um as well is is so the spirit of the water at, and and shiny also and their teachings to Alex. So that that represents the the alarms that nature is sounding in response to to what we're doing to the planet. So right. so um so them as you know as as sentient feeling you know beings communicating this information, it's representative of the of the things that we see in nature, uh, species extinction, droughts, the wildfires increasing in frequency and scope, and all those weather anomalies and food sources being inedible or dangerous due to toxins. So, um, so yeah, so once again, it's a combination of what Noah described and, the, and that kind of that symbolic, you know, what they, what they represent. And also not taking it for granted, you know, we take a lot of things for granted. Maybe yeah. if, if we're fortunate enough to have clean water in our part of the world, then we, how often do we give thanks to that water? We just think it's there for our use and with a lot of resources, it's that way. We just kind of take them for granted and we we don't think about anyone else. We just kind of use use it the way we need to. And we're, you know, we're not in relationship with it, but without it, we don't have life. So it's like, remember the relationship that allows us to be here and to be nourished and cleansed and fed and clean, you know, taken care of each and every day. And then start having some responsibility toward ensuring that it's there for others and for the future and for not just humans, but we're, we coexist with all of the nature. And so how do we use our voice, use our actions, use our recognition by bringing back the teachings from different cultures that still hold on to the spiritual aspect of what it is to be alive on an earth. This is, this is, all of the nature has that spirit. So um, the water is, is we really wanted to make that a prominent part of the story to help kids to remember that yes. they need to have gratitude. Like we, one time we, when I was coming home on a trip, I, I was at a gas station filling up the rental car and there was somebody digging through the garbage and pulling out water bottles over and over that were capped and half full or almost full. And I just, it just hit me. I was like, the path of least resistance, that's the path that the water travels. But now we're not only throwing it out and wasting it, but we're actually containing it in bottles and throwing it into the earth in plastic that it takes forever to, re, you know, to break down. And, yeah. and then, you know, so it's just like consciousness about water, the teachings about water. We're mostly made of water. Our planet is mostly made of water. Every living thing on this earth needs water to survive. We have to start looking at you know we say it's the veins of the earth mm. just like our veins so we're we're like a microcosm of the nature of the macrocosm humpback whales factor very prominently in the story again not wanting to give too much away do they have special significance in the pacific northwest i think the whale um, as we talk about it in the story you know they're they can signify that uplifting feeling that good that good fortune that good luck that ability to work together in community and just the the sacredness of seeing the intelligence and the wisdom of 
the the humpback whales. I think in our part of the world, with Coast Salish people, um, the the orcas are the are the ones that are even more significant directly as family members. But we look at we look at the humpbacks and we look at all of the animals as the part of the family of life. And so nothing is is separate or you know, put to the side, it, everything has its part in, in ensuring the flow of the natural environment and the ecosystem. And so um, it's that respect and recognition that we're family with the humpback. That's why this boy can come to the land and his he's related to the human family. We're all related. The beings in the ocean, the beings on the land, you know, we're interdependent, we're interconnected. And there's there's a deeper connection for all of us there on a level that is good to acknowledge and understand and put into action. <laughs> yeah. And and if you noted, um, so Alex, in addition to being Coast Salish native, her father is from the South Pacific. And and whales do play a, a really important role in the in the culture and history of um of South Pacific Islanders. So um so we you know we wanted to make sure that that was expressed as well. And once again, our our family has Hawaiian ancestry, and our and our nephew, the one we're referring to, is um is also part uh, Samoan. So we wanted to to make that larger connection around the um you know the entire Pacific Ocean. Yeah, and I think also with humpback whales being so migratory and the fact that they go to these tropical locations in the wintertime to breed just gives it that extra bit of, I don't know, intrigue. Just this idea of this traveling creature that has seen so much and does see so much. I could talk about whales forever. I don't want to geek out too much, but they certainly <laughs> capture the imagination tremendously. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and that's a great point, right? The amount of territory, the amount of the world that they cover is, um, you know, that's key to all the knowledge that Shiny brings with him when he, you know, interacts with Alex and when he teaches Alex. Yeah. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.com. So, whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Alex never would have ventured this far into the wilderness alone but she was comforted by the presence of her two new friends and pressed on with confidence. Page 50. 
the whale child is geared towards those age 7 to 12, yet storytelling doesn't stop when you turn into a teenager. So how can storytelling or storytelling principles be adapted for older learners and just older audiences in general? Shnoi, you had said something one time when we were talking about this that's really applicable about not making the assumptions that adults are aware of this this stuff, that they might also um, learn in the same way that young readers might learn. They may not have considered these things. But one right. thing I would say is, is the intent is for adults to to experience this the story with their children, to read it with their children, to discuss it with children, and you know have teachers lead discussions and exercises that are linked to the story to help kids explore it further. So I I think maybe some adults who do this interaction with students, even if they were aware of the subject matter of, of the environmental issues, that they as well, like kids, might be inspired to continue taking it to the next level and exposing their kids to you know additional books of similar subject matter, just more learning. But also, like Shnoa mentioned with, you know, planting gardens together, that hopefully they would take it to the level of behavior changes. You know, once you get water use, planting gardens, um, diet changes, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not really sure if I, if I answered the question. But yeah, Shnoa, what was that you were saying about not assuming that? Right, that everybody knows. Readers. Right. I think Keith and I tend to write stories that have a depth of wisdom within them. And I think that comes from you know, sharing the teachings that we have from a lot of our elders and the storytellers among our people always say, you know, you have to listen to a story, you know, at least eight times before you can tell it. And every time you're going to hear that story, you're going to hear something different that you didn't catch the first time because you're growing through your own life and your perception becomes different at each phase and stage of life. And so uh, that story can teach you always, you know, there's, it's not, there's, and I, we were looking at even, you know, movies, children's movies, and some of the, the wit and the teachings that are in those movies, the adults enjoy them just as much as, as the kids. Oh, totally. And I think that, you know, the cold, the generation before us in the modern world hasn't had a lot of the teachings that are in those books. And so I feel like it's, it's a, a way to help all people to see it and kind of awaken that memory that we carry, because I feel like we all do have the memory within our cultural lineages about how we worked in harmony with the earth from the places that we came. Our grandparents, our great grandparents, they surely they understood the cycles of nature and the way that nature supported us in, in taking care of the needs that we have. And it's a, it's a reciprocity that needs to be there. And so I feel like adults often come to us and say, we got a lot out of this too. And even though it says between seven and 12 years old, um, there's a lot of deep wisdom here that goes a long way. And even if you're, I think one of our reviews was, you know, from a little kid up to your 60s or 70s or whatever, there's still something to learn in the, in the story. <laughs> Have you read the story with really young learners, like, you know, three, four or five-year-olds? I think five is the youngest, right? Shoah kindergartners is as young as we've gone. Yeah. And then you, we, you know, that's where the illustrations came in really strongly because sure. yeah. Keith and I were able to envision as we were working on the story together, what we were seeing and helping with the imagination of the little guys and the little or the younger kids tend to really connect with the images. 
And that's something unique about the book because typically chapter books don't have illustrations. Uh, they, they kind of start to say, okay, kids don't need illustrations anymore at that age. But we had done all these illustrations and uh, it serves a, a good purpose for reaching the younger kids. And I think, the, you know, everybody appreciates the the art as well. You know, it's not just you get to the, you know, seven years old and all of a sudden you don't like pictures anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it goes on for our whole life that you can appreciate art and, you know, the imagination and creating you know, creating these images to accompany the story. So the little guys like that, <laughs> maybe everybody. Right. With the, um, with the kindergartners. So even though it's definitely a, a reading level above their ability at that point, mm-hmm. like Shino was saying, when we would be face to face with them and we would have be projecting the images on the screen while reading, what ended up happening is we would just shorten the readings and we would focus more on their questions. And through their questions, we were able to kind of simplify the story more and basically fill them in on what was happening and impart, you know, basic things that they could understand. Like, you know, do you leave the water running while you brush your teeth and that kind of stuff. So it was really, it was, it was easy to engage with them face to face, even though the book was to advance for them by having it be more based on the illustrations and answering their questions. Right. That's great. I'm just envisioning all these smiling faces of five-year-olds Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're the greatest. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah, so honest. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts before we sign off? I think uh, we're just hopeful that um, we could put our heart and our care into um, a story like this, and hope that it reaches a lot of children and families and teachers, and that it can make a difference in some way. Um, we always feel like. We each have a voice and we know that that voice is important to share when you have something that is useful to um, bettering our world. And so we thought, okay, we might not be the greatest experts in this, but we do have something to share that's important. And hopefully this message will spread and children can become the next caretakers of this earth that it um, oftentimes among our native people, we understand we are the caretakers of the earth. We're here to ensure that it's here for future generations. But um, I like to think of all the children of the world becoming that next generation of caretakers together, that this is something that we have to do together. This is not something that we do standing by ourselves. And the, the more we can come together and put our love and caring into something that's important to all of us, the more power and the more possibility we have. So uniting everyone that that we can see our commonality, that we need the same things, that we want the same things and that we can take care of them together in, in really creative ways. Yeah, that that's great. I, I second that, I would have nothing to add, um, <laughs> but I, I would just like to say, I really appreciate the chance to, to talk to you about this. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, thank you so much, Shanoa and Keith, for, well, first off, sharing the story, sharing your wisdom, your insights, and joining me in this conversation today. It's a pleasure. Really yeah, great. Great you. to meet you and talk about the story. And yeah. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate really appreciate it. Night was on its way when Shiny and Alex arrived back at the village. From the beach, they watched together as the sun set making a fiery orange light on the horizon before disappearing. What's next? <laughs>
Shiny mused aloud, glancing down at Bufflehead. Page 61. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terrien. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. You know, just because something doesn't speak our language or someone doesn't speak our language uh -huh. doesn't mean that we don't have all these other capacities of understanding and relating to the feeling that's there and that telepathy that happens with Bufflehead. And yeah, yeah, and I would say Bufflehead definitely was inspired by traditional Native American style characters and storytelling, the role he played. Yeah. <laughs>